This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here and around the world. Chocolate and Fluffy are playing downstairs with a new toy. But uh, we are up here ready to do another deep dive. And Ian says that international viewers to our Earth Files YouTube channel are now coming from more than 100 countries, at least 116 so far. A big thanks to everyone everywhere for your great support. And this week, the European Southern Observatory in Munich, Germany, announced that it will hold a press conference to present new groundbreaking and pioneering Milky Way information from the Event Horizon Telescope, also known as EHT, a project that is an international science effort to capture images of black holes using a, quote, virtual Earth-sized telescope, close quote. The news conference will be streamed online from the ESO website, along with simultaneous press conferences around the world in Washington, D.C., Santiago, Chile, Mexico City, Tokyo, and Taipei, the capital in Taiwan. Reporters will be provided with extensive, they say, supporting audiovisual material, and I'm looking forward to that to share with you. What could pioneering and groundbreaking news be? Well, perhaps a follow-up to ESO's April 10th, 2019 headline three years ago, and that was, quote, astronomers capture first image of a black hole. That was the first ever image of a black hole, and it was at the center of the Messier 87 galaxy, 55 million light years from Earth in the Virgo galaxy cluster. But what have the ESO scientists found that will be pioneering and groundbreaking? This time, the public is going to be able to ask questions. It will be right after the press conference on May 12th, and the ESO YouTube channel will host a 60-minute online event for the public to ask questions to six experts who study with the Black Hole Event Horizon Telescope. No registration is required. You will be, will be able to ask questions on Twitter, and ESO gave this Twitter topic for questions. And you can also send questions to the ESO YouTube channel. You also can go to myearthfiles.com website and click on my news headline, European Southern Observatory says groundbreaking Milky Way news coming May 12, 2022. Inside my report, I have placed hot links to the press conference and the Q&A afterward. Many of you have written to ask about mysterious implants inserted into people taken through walls or windows by beams into UFO UAPs. And it was 43 years ago in the fall of 1979 that I first learned about these so-called tracking devices, as some people call them. 
That's when I began to produce my television documentary, A Strange Harvest, for the CBS station in Denver about bloodless, trackless animal mutilations. And that is when law enforcement told me, quote, the perpetrators are creatures from outer space, close quote. So investigating animal mutilations included many discussions with people who remembered as a young child hearing buzzing like bees come from their closet at night, or they saw one or more small glowing orbs of light bobbing up and down in the air next to their bed, or they recalled not being able to move a muscle, and yet they could see they were being floated through a wall or out a window by small gray beings with large almond-shaped black eyes that glistened. Harvard University psychiatrist John Mack, MD, studied the abduction syndrome and wrote in his 1994 book, Human Encounters with Aliens, Abduction, quote, how do the aliens pass people through walls? Carlos describes the sensation of having his cells vibrate and dissolve as he is transported by a light beam, leaving behind a kind of ghostly shape. What is the mechanism whereby cuts and other lesions are apparently healed so promptly? One man, as Dr. Uh, Mack was saying, one man told me of a gash several inches deep that appeared on his leg following an abduction, yet this cut virtually disappeared in 24 hours. What is the process whereby abductees are tracked so they can be found whenever and wherever the beings wish? Are implants involved in this? It has been suggested that the aliens are many thousands of years ahead of human beings in their mastery of various technologies, close quote, Dr. John Mack, Harvard University in 1994. Well, when one of those alien faces ended up in 1987 on the cover of this famous book, Communion, A True Story by Whitley Strieber, Many people passing bookstores were startled when they saw the cover, and then they also saw in their own mind's eye images of a UFO or non-human being, as if suddenly remembering a scene in their own life, but they had forgotten. In his book's prelude, Whitley wrote, quote, What happened to me was terrifying. People who face the visitors do report fierce little figures with eyes that seem to stare into the deepest core of being. And those eyes are asking for something, perhaps even demanding it. Whatever it is, it is more than simple information. The goal does not seem to be the sort of clear and open exchange that we might expect. Whatever may be surfacing it wants far more than that. It seems to me that it seeks the very depth of the soul. It seeks communion." Close quote. Whitley's first shocking exposure to the black-eyed, gray-skinned beings was December 26, 1985, the night after Christmas, when the beings took him physically from the Accord New York cabin in the woods where he lived 
with his wife Anne and their son to what might have been a spacecraft, but Whitley has never been certain where he was. I remember it as being a little room which was not clean. There were clothes thrown around, dark blue clothing. There was these beings in it were darting around. They would pop up and then be gone again in an instant. They were very frightening because they were obviously some sort of gigantic insect is how I perceived them. They had those big black eyes that are on the cover of Communion. The room had a faint sulfurous odor in it, maybe also an odor of cinnamon. I was trying to get up and get out of there, but I couldn't move. At first, I thought I was having some sort of bizarre nightmare. But then when I couldn't wake up and I realized it was real, I started trying to escape. And I couldn't escape because I could not move. But I could move my head, and I was looking around. And apparently I was screaming because I began to hear a voice saying, what can we do to help you stop screaming? And one of them opened a little silver case before my eyes in which there was a long tapering needle and said that they were going to insert this into my head and it sent a wave of terror through me. The next thing I knew it had been done and then they inserted an object into my rectum which was electrical and it caused me to have an erection and ejection of semen which they collected in a little jar Did you receive any telepathic words, information, thought words from any of the beings about why they were going to insert this implant in your head or why they were ejaculating sperm from you? No, I did not get any explanations from anybody about anything. And as far as telepathy is concerned, I was unaware of the existence of something like that at the time. I remember voices. If they were speaking to me telepathically, I was not aware of it. And then, as far as I'm concerned, it was the next morning. And where did you find yourself the next morning? In bed. And it was like a jump cut? Yeah. Initially, the next morning, I was agitated without knowing why. My skin crawled. It was an awful feeling. But I didn't know why I was so upset. And I began to think, something is wrong with you, Whitley. And I got very frightened, and eventually a medical test and psychological tests showed that I was normal psychologically and medically quite fit, actually, and the test for temporal lobe epilepsy not only showed I didn't have that, but that I had an exceptionally stable brain, one that was unlikely to have any kind of seizures. They put this in my ear, in the outside of my ear. It's there right now. It's still there through my skin. And they did not leave a scar. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. Or what Dr. Lear found was so remarkable. The objects he found that were mostly embedded under people's skin were encased in epidural tissue. That's tissue from just below the outer layer of the skin. This was done so that the objects would not be rejected by the body. But we don't have the technology to do that. I was involved in studying these implants at Southwest Research in San Antonio, Texas, with Dr. William Mallow, the head of material science there. We studied many implants at Southwest Research, and there was no way that we could have created those encapsulations that they were in. No way. But the implants themselves, and this is what is so bizarre, were apparently just innocuous. 
In other words, they were bits of meteoric iron, and they were slightly magnetic, but they were nothing remarkable. But who in the world is going to put unremarkable, seemingly pointless objects into somebody and go to the trouble of making sure they won't come out by encasing them in epidermal tissue? But, Whitley, it could be that whatever they are using for implants are self-activating software that you and I have been exposed to in the Dragonfly drones. And there, anything that can be programmed by ETs becomes a self-activated object with programming and doesn't need anything else from the outside. Well, the object I have in my ear in the mid-90s, I was living in San Antonio and met Dr. Mallow, and that's when we did the studies of the implants that were being harvested by Dr. Lear. He wanted to try to see if he could get anything out of mine, and I arranged to have a doctor try to remove it. And this is all on videotape. It's on my website, Unknown Country. And the doctor tried to remove it from my left ear. He opened up an incision and could see a white disc. My wife was there, and she saw the disc, too. But when he touched the disc with the edge of his scalpel, preparatory to removing it, it disappeared. It went down into the earlobe, through under my skin on its own. And so he closed the incision up because we'd have to cut my whole ear off in order to get it out. Two days later, it moved back up into the position it's in now. He did get a sliver of it, and he sent that to a laboratory, and the lab technician reported that it was a metallic base with protonaceous cilia attached to it, and that the cilia were motile, they were moving. In other words, that cilia were some kind of organic thing, and they were attached to this metallic base. So it was a very sophisticated thing. And that has been reported in at least one animal mutilation case. The eyewitness, he was bending over, amazed at the lack of blood and fluid when he saw something move. He put his hand down to the jaw, right on the edge of where the hide was coming around the keyhole of the clean jaw. What was this that was moving? And he said it took off with some speed underneath the hide, and that as he went along with his hand, it moved away, and it kept moving under the hide. Never was able to get it. Well, that's what happened to me. They never were able to get it. And these things do that, and they move on their own. That happened to Dr. Lear's surgeries routinely, and they would clamp the area around the object because they knew that it would move if it could. Some of them they didn't get, but some of them they did, and we tested about 10 of them. All of them except one were the same thing. They were meteoric iron. Another longtime abductee with implants is attorney Terry Loveless, who was also honorably discharged as a U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant after six years of service at Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri from 1973 to 1979. Now 71 years old, and Terry self-published a book in 2018 entitled Incident at Devil's Den about his abduction into a huge triangular-shaped UFO along with his U.S. Air Force buddy, Toby, during a camping trip to Devil's Den, Arkansas in June 1977 when Terry was 22 years old, two years before he left the Air Force and became an attorney. 
1979, a couple of years after Terry Lovelace was honorably discharged from the U.S. Air Force on Whiteman Air Force Base, he had taken up running for exercise. And that's when he noticed a spot above his right knee that went numb when he jogged. 34 years later, on October 22nd of 2013, at age 58, Terry's leg gave out completely. He fell and ended up in the Dallas, Texas Veterans Administration Medical Center Radiology Department, staring at x-rays of his right knee and thigh. A female radiology tech took x-rays and radiograms, and then a male radiologist told Terry that one anomalous object above his right knee was made of metal with wires attached, almost in a square shape, and wanted to know what had happened. How did this metal object with wires coming from it in, get into Terry's right leg? Terry answered he had no idea how anything got in his leg without him knowing, but that since 1979, when he ran a couple of miles, there would always come a numb spot where the radiologist was then showing him the strange metal object on the x-ray. The radiologist said there must be scar tissue, and he looked on the skin surface, and then in radiograms of the subcutaneous tissue in which the metal implant was embedded. After his detailed exam, the radiologist admitted he could not find any scar tissue, and he was very puzzled. Further, in x-rays of Terry's right knee, there was a five-petaled, almost flower-like object that glowed white. The x-ray technician said, quote, I've never seen anything like this before, close quote. Well, the radiologists hypothesized that it was a baker's cyst, which would have caused Terry's right leg to collapse. And I ask, Linda, I ask a professional radiologist that I know about this particular x-ray. She said that it was likely that it was a baker's cyst. However, she conceded that she has never seen a baker's cyst present with such uniform geometry before. Another medical doctor raised the question, if this metal square with wires were an alien implant, could the petaled flower-shaped object be another alien implant deliberately camouflaged as a baker's cyst? Were these implants inserted during the Devil's Den camping trip all the way back in 1977 when Terry was with his buddy Tobias and they were taken from their tent into a UFO? Only more recently, on November 17, 2017, Terry's relationship with the alien phenomenon took another turn that suddenly linked back to his childhood when small alien figures visited him when he was in, like, grade school, along with a motherly figure that Terry always called Sue. Now, she must have worn a wig and told him firmly that he was not supposed to talk about the implants. I wake up in the middle of my living room around 3 o'clock in the morning. I am sitting upright in my chair. 
And I woke up with my eyes wide open, and seated across from me is what I first thought to be a petite Asian woman. And I'm thinking, this woman had the ability to read my mind. She communicated telepathically. And I was wondering, am I going to say something that's inappropriate? Am I going to say something to make her angry? God forbid. Terry, what were you hearing in your head as telepathic communication from her? The first thing I thought was, my God, that wig looks ridiculous, because it did. It was on her head askew. I know that sounds crazy, but that was the first thing that crossed my mind. And when I said that, she said telepathically, you don't like my wig? It's the same. And my thought was, the same as what? And she says, the same as the last time we met one another. Is it? the sound of a female voice in your head where you're normally accustomed just to your male thoughts? Or what is it that you are getting as the experience of telepathic thought? What I received was a female voice as audible and as clear and as audible as any spoken word you've ever heard. But it wasn't through my ears. It was in my head. And there was no accent of any kind. It was just her words, and she spoke very plainly, and I understood her. And I remember thinking, and when I say think, I mean say. They're interchangeable. Anything you think, you might as well say. Mm -hmm. And my next thought was, why are you here? Why are you in my living room? Who are you? Does this have something to do with my knee? And she fired back telepathically, yes, it has to do with your knee. I said, well, do you put these in everyone? Who do you put these things in? She said, many thousands of people over many generations. And I asked, what purpose do these things serve? And she dodged the question twice and wouldn't tell me. She just said they serve many purposes. And I said, well, who are you? She told me that she was a hybrid being and that she worked for her host, who I referred to as alien. And I said, well, who are the aliens? Why do you call them hosts? Because a host can mean a lot of things. And she says, I don't call them alien. I call them my host because they are not alien to me. I thought, I know this woman. And the thought was, my God, I wish she'd take those glasses off. And she took her glasses off. And I could see her full face. And I recognized her immediately. I knew who she was. Who? She was the lady that I referred to as Sue when I was a little boy. They used to take me, along with some other kids, it was always the same group of kids, when I was age six and seven, about the time when I saw the UFO. And they would come and ask me, would you want to come with us and play? And it was weird. They were made up as little circus monkeys. And I'm sure that they portrayed themselves in that way to be benign to a six or seven-year-old child and not be frightening why would you be recognizing this female in 2017 if she goes all the way back to when you were six or seven years old and you thought monkeys were coming into your bedroom? What would have been a connection to you about this female sitting across from you wearing glasses that you want her to take off and the monkeys? The monkeys were the abductors. The monkeys I have nothing but malice towards. I would shoot the monkeys if they came back. But I felt genuine affection for this woman. 
Terry, are you trying to say that the monkeys, when they came into your bedroom when you were six or seven years old, that they would end up taking you to a craft where this female who is now talking to you in 2017 would be when you were a child? Precisely. Exactly the same woman. Yes. And what did she do with you when you were six and seven years old? We went to like a circular plate area, gray padded floor. The room was well lit but I can't identify exactly where the light is coming from. And she was always there. She would play games with us, usually involving symbols, geometrical triangles. Are you talking about now that you're taken to, we assume, a craft, and that this Asian female who is sitting across from you in September 2017 was always with you as a child and played games with you having to do with symbols and patterns? Yes, and I think it was intentional that she allowed me to remember that. Had she not allowed me to remember that, I would not have known. I think for whatever reason, she wanted me to have that memory. Let's go to what she communicates about your right leg and the x-rays. Yes, I ask, and she dodged the question twice, What's the purpose of the thing in my leg? And she said, they serve many purposes. Or she said, legs, plural. And I thought, plural? And she said, yes, I mean plural. You have devices in both of your legs. And that's when it hit me. I'd never had my left leg x-rayed. But she said that I had devices. She referred to them as devices in both legs. And I asked her, I said, why are you here? And she said, you shouldn't write your book or speak about some of these things. Because you don't know, you're not smart enough to discern what's important and shouldn't be talked about, and what's not so important is no big deal to talk about. Because of that, you shouldn't speak. If you speak, people may believe you, and you know things that you shouldn't know, you shouldn't be talking about. And I said, well, what makes me any different from anybody else? I said, you know, there are 10,000 people out there writing books about UFOs and writing about their experiences. You know, what makes my experience any different from any other? And she said, because people will believe you. There's nothing that makes me anything special. I don't understand it. But that was her answer to me. Probably because you have had a military background, an attorney background. You're intelligent. And for a while, you would have had Tobias to back you up. That would have been nice. In your book, you talk about what is basically a veiled threat from her. Can you explain that now? It was not the least veiled. There were two what I interpreted as threats. She said that the things above my knee can't be removed and analyzed by terrestrial scientists. She said her host will not allow that to happen. And she said they're going to come and take them from you. And she said, they'll take them from you in the middle of the night, and you'll have no pain whatsoever. And her second threat was more direct. And she said, if you talk about these things, your government will kill you. And I thought, my God. That came out of her mind to your mind. Correct. All telepathic. When she said, if you do talk and do your book, your government will kill you, Did you then mentally ask her, why would my government kill me because I have your implants in my legs? That was pretty much toward the end of the session, because after she said that, I was shocked, I guess. I think that was pretty much when things wrapped up. 
All right. That was September 2017. We are talking in January of 2019. In this period of time, since this female alien sat across from you and telepathically communicated and you recognized that she had been in your life since you were six or seven years old, did you have any vivid dream or any other event happen between 2017 and today in January of 2019 that would explain who the host is? Why is the host interacting with Earth? What is the experimentation on humans? Why did they put the implants in your right leg and, she says, also in your left leg? What is the big picture if she also is a non-human warning you that the United States government would kill you if you talked about these implants in your leg? Those are huge questions, and the answers are as follows. She warned me that they would be removed if I continued to talk. And my wife and I discussed it, and I made the decision that I'm going to continue to talk, and I'm going to speak as loud as I can to as many people as I can, because it's the truth. And I want people to know, and I think people have the right to know. And about three weeks after she won, I woke up at 7 a.m. horrendous pain in both of my legs. They took the devices out of my legs. And I told my wife, they came and they took their implants back. They give me a feeling of urgency that there are things that are going to happen and things that are happening now that are not under our control and that only very few people know about. And she said, there are people that know everything. They're not going to tell the people. She showed me a lifeboat on the Titanic, and she said, a beehive example. These thoughts are planted in my head. She showed me what happens when a hive gets too big. The queen and a bunch of the workers, they leave and they go somewhere else. Right. And she said, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. She said, we have people on the far side of the moon. They've been there over two generations. There are people there that were born there that have never been to Earth. There is a propulsion system that allows them to travel from the moon to Mars in 17 hours. And I scoffed and I said, that's ridiculous. That can't be done. And she said, yes, it is. Yes, it can be done. It's done every day. She said that just as our Navy has aircraft carriers with aircraft, we have aircraft carriers in the sky that are docked on the moon that transit between the far side of the moon and the Earth and back. And she said, what's going on right now is a frantic effort to build, trying to prepare things. The urgency is growing. Terry, build what for what? Build housing to build a civilization. Where? On Mars. They had the first on the moon. Evidently, helium-3 on the moon gives them a cold source of nuclear power. Cold fusion. Yeah, that's what she called it. When she showed me the Titanic lifeboat analogy, and she even said to me, this planet cannot support 8 billion people, and there are 7.5 here now. And I said, oh, my God. I said to her, then the object of the exercise is going to be to get as many people to the moon and then to Mars. Is that right? She was like, well, kind of. But they can't take 
seven and a half billion people from the Earth to Mars. That won't work. The thought crossed my mind, well, my God, what happens to the poor souls that are left here? And she nodded her head. Yeah, they're left here. And it all boils down to the mystery of what do the greys want and these other beings want with humanity on this planet Earth? I don't know, but I'm going to give you an indirect answer. I knew General Arthur Exxon, who was present at Wright Field when the debris and bodies were brought to the Air Material Command. He held one of the bodies in his arms, and he said it was a big insect. Big insect. Exactly. And it had a horrendous odor also. Now, if that's the case, then it could be that they have very much of a communal presence in reality. In other words, they're more like a hive of genius bees. They don't have individuality. And if the individuality we have here is rare in the universe, and I've been with many of these different beings at this point in my life, I think they found something here or maybe even created something here that is unique in the universe. That's my speculation. Because I can't imagine why if this universe contains such a breathtakingly massive number of planets, there are probably trillions trillions of inhabited planets for every single human being who has ever lived on Earth. And they're here in numbers looking us over. So there's got to be something unusual going on here for sure. And could it be that Homo sapien sapien, a creation of manipulating DNA and already evolving primates by extraterrestrials in some kind of laboratory experience, produced an unusual soul, and that there may be something true about the Homo sapien sapien soul that could be unique in this universe, and that that could be what the big vested interest in our at least surviving ourselves could be. I think that the soul is the whole center of everything. Maybe somebody doesn't want us to be strong. Maybe they want us to be confused and doubting and nine-tenths of all scientists and academics thinking it's stupid nonsense when it's not. Right. And not only is it not a nonsense, it's not always dangerous, and it does have a good side, but it can be very dangerous. Right. Exactly. And the question then is, why is the pulse of the yin and yang always seemingly at work here? You get down into very deep stuff because there is a level of reality in which there is no good and evil. There are positive and negative forces, and it is up to free souls to bring them into balance. And maybe that's, in the end, why they are here and why some of them are good and some of them seem evil. It's not good and evil. It's an attempt to find balance, and they can use us to be the jugglers, as it were, and juggle the two forces. One pole is absolute zero and absolute dark, and at the other pole is an infinity of conscious light. And we are meant to find the balance between the two in order to enrich the universe. I think that human beings have something that they want, and I think it's the human soul. And they don't 
and by God, think one. In my third book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2, High Strangeness, people in the human abduction syndrome also talk about the huge importance that the human soul plays in non-human interactions with us. Some abductees for decades have said that some alien intelligences study the moment of death for human beings in an effort to find out which dimensions Earth Homo sapiens sapien enter after the moment of death, dimensions that non-humans might not be able to enter. So biological humans with souls and free will might be a rare life form in this huge cosmos. Human free will choices in conscious life on Earth might add up to specific soul frequencies that resonate with only specific other dimensions. And then, whether human, ET, or angel, you reap what you sow. And I want to do a cheer that Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 1, they are now successfully in the garage. And uh, coming behind them in May will be a new printing of An Alien Harvest. So uh, for all of you who have been asking me to let you know, Glimpses Volume 1 and Glimpses Volume 2 are now a two-volume set that anybody anywhere uh, can order. We have plenty of books and An Alien Harvest and Mysterious Lights and Crop Circles and my documentaries, Antarctica, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice, A Strange Harvest, Strange Harvest 1993, and the Gobekli Tepe, Tepe documentary. So uh, the, uh, the spring air is pushing things along, and I feel like the plants are coming up after a long night uh, of the seeds, and that you all are with me, and it feels great to be able to report to you uh, a little bit more deeply uh, last week and this week on what I think are some very important subjects. And I know that because of the letters, emails, and texts that you send me. Uh, a lot of people have asked questions about what are the implants? Are they tracking devices? What are they? And you can see how complex it all is. And the insights of Whitley Strieber and Terry Lovelace, I think, are so valuable. And I would like to hear from uh, all of you, even if you want to remain anonymous, meaning you don't want your name for me to read, but if you yourself feel that you have uh, implants or you have questions uh, that you have never asked anybody before, this is now in a good time uh, to communicate with me about the whole implant issue. Uh, certainly, we don't have all the answers by any stretch. But if you took everything that we did last year or last uh, week with Adam Burns and with him last year, and what we heard from uh, Whitley Strieber and T uh, Terry Lovelace tonight, the complexity, the depth, the breadth, the complexity of other dimensions 
that we are really not very educated about as beings on Earth at all. I find it both exciting, uh, kind of exciting, like very exciting to learn, but frustrated that we still are in a timeline where the government and others who do have answers to some of these many questions are still sitting on information, and I sure hope that we're going to have a headline somewhere this summer uh, that maybe even congressional hearings will be held. But if the policy is still of denial about these subjects, I think we're not going to hear much publicly. So that's why you guys keep coming to the Earth Files YouTube channel. And uh, uh, Ian, are you there? I wanted to, uh, yes, I wanted to make sure you were there for questions and comments and knowing that we did a, a long dive on the implants, but to let uh, everyone know, for you to let everyone know that Glimpses Volume 1 is now available with Glimpses Volume 2 in the, the chat and that one other piece of follow-up from last week. There were some people in the chat, right, Ian, who were saying that dinosaurs are not reptiles. And I did a lot of research at the National History Museum in the UK and other places. And I just wanted to say and, and suggest to everyone that you do that as well. Do it yourself and you will find that the sentences always say dinosaurs are a group of reptiles that dominated the land for over 140 million years. They evolved diverse shapes and sizes that range from very small to very large. And there is also another word that is applied to dinosaurs, archosaurs, A-R-C-H-O-S-A-U-R-S, again, defined by museums and science institutions as a larger group of reptiles that first appeared about 251 million years ago. So I, I'm not certain how that confusion began, that the uh, dinosaurs, they're complex, and I think it's the blood issue, uh, that between cold blood and warm blood, what they think that the dinosaurs fell into was a category on the blood that was neither really cold-blooded are really warm-blooded, but stayed somewhere in the middle. And that is the separation in the science on them as still a form of reptile. Okay, with that, Ian, I'm putting my pile of notes uh, away and I'm swinging to you. And I realize that I'm, uh, I've, I'll go 10 minutes now with Q&A, but next week, uh, I promise everybody that what we'll do is I'll do some news, but I'm going to go to Q&A, uh, and Ian has been organizing questions. So uh, right now, Ian, let's see what we can do with comments and questions here for 10 minutes. Okay, Linda. First of all, uh, tell us where we can get the book from. By writing to, or first, do a web search to the Earth Files 
website, www.earthfiles.com. And when you are there, on the right is a column, and there's Earth Files Shop, and it's near the top. I think it's in blue, Earth Files Shop. Click on there, and everything that you need on my books, on my documentaries, T-shirts, everything is there. Everything is current, and that's where you can order Glimpses Volume 1, and uh, chocolate has jumped up. Uh, Glimpses Volume 1, 2, Mysterious Lights and Crop Circles and Alien Harvest, the documentaries, T-shirts, and so forth. It's simple. Okay, thanks, Linda. Uh, and thank you for mentioning as well that uh, Earthfiles is being viewed all around the world. The last analytical data that I have shows that Earthfiles has been viewed in 116 different countries. And uh, we also have people tonight from Ethiopia, Taiwan, and uh, Bahamas, as well as all over the United States, Canada, and many places in Europe. And we've had some from the Ukraine, right? That's right, we have. We've, despite the, uh, the problems in, in, in Ukraine, of course, uh, people are still viewing Earth fires, unbelievably. We're also getting, um, uh, we also have a mention for Romania, who are now the seventh most popular country where Earth fires is viewed. Wow. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, and I um, would always, I want everybody to always let me know after each show um, what you, if you like the content, uh, this was two deeper dives back to back. Uh, I will usually space them out, but there uh, was a reason to get into this material. Uh, so I focused it on this uh, show tonight again. And uh, I would love to know if, even though questions and answers are a part that you all like, uh, is this uh, show, like last week with Adam, where I'm doing something deeper without as much time for Q&A, uh, do you like this as much as uh, when there's more Q&A? As long as I space out Q&As uh, as we go through the year. That's, that's, I would love your feedback on that. So... What have we got in a question now, Ian? Well, a lot of people in the chat are chiming in with their own experiences of implants and Great. saying that they've had implants and they've had implants uh, had implants removed and seen them themselves. And also people are talking about uh, the buzzing noise that they sometimes get. Here's a question for you. But I get a buzzing in my right hip two or three times a year. Could that be an implant? I would say that it is not proven medically in some kind of a published book that I know of, but I would say that that is probably likely because I have interviewed people who say that they have clicking sounds inside of their ear or a buzzing sound like bees, they feel it around them, or a part of the body will suddenly vibrate and it will do it in a cyclic way and this would fall into that category. And um, for those who have had implants removed, I would very much like to hear from you if it is possible to send me, whether you had a, a full medical report, something that was medical for the reason of getting the implant out, and do you have photographs? And if so, 
I would very much like to be able to share that. I do not have to uh, share a person's name or their face, but to be able to share what is really going on in the world, honestly, with photos, with medical documents, x-rays, uh, scans, all of it. If you have done it, you can uh, be assured that I can report about what you have found in implant investigation without violating your requests for anonymity. I do it all the time. I always have. And uh, so there is a way to work with some of this information and put it out to, we'll call it our uh, Earth Files YouTube channel group, and still be able to report about it. For those of you who are not worried about remaining anonymous, that also I'm seeing more and more people saying, for the first time, first time in 43 years since doing A Strange Harvest, I have had more people say, I want you to use my name. Like, there's, it's where everybody's beginning to feel like, why are we not talking about all of this publicly? Why must it be a secret? That's the first time that I have felt that kind of energy as much as I have in the past few months. But you have my word. You can communicate with me, and I never, ever am going to use a name, uh, anything publicly, unless I would have your written permission. So this is a way of meeting in the middle that I can get your reports, you can trust, that what I'd like to do is to talk about what has been found with medical reports, not anecdotal, with hard medical x-rays, scans, all of that. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And then collaborate uh, by uh, doing an interview to find out the information. So this could be very interesting, Ian, if, uh, if we start getting a lot of uh, comments going in that direction. Right, and I've asked people if they can contact us and share more information directly with us as well. Okay, here's another one, Linda. Have you heard anything about an implant that looks like a very small packed sphere made of very dense carbon? We recovered a sphere like that from my husband's earlobe. Spherical-shaped implants I have heard about a lot. Um, dense carbon. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but here, here's, this is classic. I would love to find out more. And if this, in, who, who sent this to you, if they can let you know how I can get a hold of them, perhaps by phone, then I could call and talk about what documentation exists and if it would be possible to show it here at the Earth Files YouTube channel with or without the name and the identifier. And that's how we'll all learn because what we need is hard evidence and hard data to be discussed in everything from animal mutilations to human abductions and implants and hybrids and all of it. We need to be talking about data and hard evidence. So this would be a perfect example, Ian, if this couple would 
uh, allow, would talk to me and I could do a report even if they don't want to be identified? Well, we'll, we'll see if they can contact us and, uh, and we'll reach out to them and hopefully learn more. We have another one here from um, Van C., who says, I had a pea-sized thing inside my torso right below my belly button in 2017 to 2019 after my mother, niece and I, all three, saw a bright blue-white orb of light flying in the sky. What happened to it? Well, again, we'd like to learn more because some people are reporting that they find these implants in them after they've had a UFO event or experience. Right. That's right. And it is... Did, as Whitley pointed out, and I described in the uh, cattle mutilation, these things can move. So it may have been in the belly button and it may have moved on its own, which is an interesting question if that is what happened, or did they have it taken out or, or what? Learning more about these implants could lead to uh, several layers of very interesting discoveries. So maybe that person would let me talk with them as well. Okay, here's another one uh, I thought that I did when I was young. Um, my parents and even my doctor couldn't explain what it was. It was in my lower left jawbone to the left of my mouth. It would move some when I pushed on it. The first thing that comes to mind is um, I did a mini documentary all the way back to around 2004, I think it was 2004 or five, uh, Thomas Coleman Shepard. Uh, he ha had been in the military and Navy and how to compress this. There was a vault, a, a room with a literal metallic vault in it and I believe this was in one of the islands near like Taiwan or someplace where he was at, at this particular base. And inside the metal vault, he never knew what was in the vault until one Thanksgiving night, <clears throat> which is in my uh, film. And one of his buddies was in and had the classification to go inside of that vault room. He was outside doing clerical work. He hears his name called and he nears, hears another buddy's name called from the guy inside the vault room. And when he finally gets there, spread out on top of the metal were photographs of what the man said, these are aliens from outer space. And this is uh, somewhere in Roswell, New Mexico. The file is labeled Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. And the, the, in the photo, he's looking at these beings and, and he said to the guy, what do you, what do you mean? L like the straightforward sentence and what he was looking at, he wasn't understanding. And his friend said, these are extraterrestrials. You've heard of Roswell, right? The UFO crashes. Here are the photos. And this is in a hangar. And they're laying, laid out on some kind of platform. And that was the beginning of Thomas Coleman Shepard's evolution until he got out of the Navy in the 90s, quite a few years later. 
And during that period of time, he had asked people about these photographs of extraterrestrials that he had been shown. And eventually, whoever was in his superior authority came to him and said, you need to keep your mouth shut. And I want you to come with me. And there was another guy. He said, you need to go to a dental appointment today. They have no idea. They're not told anything about why they're having to go to the dentist. They go. He has no idea what happens at the dentist. Total silence. The dentist does something. They have no idea. 10 or 15 years later, he gets a loose piece in the jawline and the gum, and he has to go to a dentist. He's out now of the Navy. It was in a civilian uh, dentist office. And the dentist did x-rays and comes in and says, when did you work for intelligence? And Thomas Coleman Shepard said, what do you mean? He said, you had something in your jaw, he said, that I only associate with people who are either sending or receiving messages. And he said it was your teeth were, the, the teeth itself, the tooth itself, had something that had been placed over the tooth that would somehow either enhance or protect the frequencies he never understood. But that would be an example of humans in military putting some kind of implant in a gum and a tooth for some, who knows, microphone reason, sending, who knows? He didn't have a clue, but it was, but the dentist took it out and, and wouldn't have anything more to do with it. Well, it, it could be that what the person who's asked, if we do it and the non-humans do it, then what you have in your gum could be from one of those sources. Because I don't know anything else about your life uh, in terms of whether or not you would be a candidate for having uh, dentistry done in a military or in intel capacity. But certainly the non-humans are capable of putting these implants, it appears, um, any place. And what I referenced, that was one of the more extraordinary discussions on cattle mutilation investigation that underneath, right at the edge of uh, what was the keyhole cut on the jaw, that the uh, investigator who called me said, this thing started moving and I tried to get it and it kept going underneath the hide. Well, these moving uh, plants, <coughs> the moving implants, um, Whitley Strieber encountered with Dr. Roger Lear's work uh, for quite a long time, did some of the most, uh, the most detailed investigations. So we are just scratching the surface on what there is to learn. And on that note, Ian, Eric, Brad, everybody, 116 countries all over the world, I pray every day that we move toward peace, but I'm sure glad that we can come together on these Wednesday nights. Digital hug. I love you guys. See you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 